says that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So there's two things that he's thankful for these Thessalonians Christians. Number one, their faith is growing. And secondly, their charity or their love is growing. He sees this in the lives of these Christians uh, there at the church at Thessalonica. He says, I'm grateful. Let's talk about their, their faith growing exceedingly. Uh, the words they're growing exceedingly have the idea of above the ordinary. They're not just growing, but they're growing far above the ordinary. And Paul says, I'm so thankful for that. And as I was uh, going over these last night and kind of praying over these notes uh, last night and this morning, I just took pause and uh, asked myself this question. I'm going to ask you the question I asked myself. Could anybody say of you, could, could they thank God for you in this area that, that you're growing in faith? Could they say, God, thank you for and mention your name because of, of what I see in their life, the growth in their life. They challenge me because of their growth in the area of faith. And go back a few pages. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, just a page or two. And you'll see why they were growing. One of the reasons they were growing at least. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, notice in verse 9. And here's what he says. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9. Uh, Paul, the pastor, the planner, the church there, he says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Now watch this. Night and day, praying, exceeding, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He said, I'm praying that I could come and see you. And one of the purposes of the visit is to be able to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. You know, one of the reasons that they were growing in their faith is, is that Paul was praying for their lack of faith. Not in a critical way, but in a burdened way. The word perfect there in verse 10 means to strengthen. It means to mend. He wasn't angry with them. He was praying for them. And uh, are you praying for someone, for their faith? It's easy to criticize people. But here he is praying for this church in chapter 1. In verse 3, and then in chapter 2, as we read in the opening verse, God answered his prayer where he says, I can see in your lives that you're growing exceedingly in the matter of your faith. It's possible, it's possible, and it should be a reality that God sees your faith growing. Let me just ask you this question. Are you growing spiritually at all? Are you growing at all? God wants to see you grow. He wants to see you develop. Uh, are you at the same place? Are you plateaued? And the truth is, in the Christian life, you really don't plateau. It's like a plane stalling. You know what happens when a plane stalls? It crashes. There is no plateau in the Christian life. If you plateau, you go in reverse. The old word in the Old Testament, backslide, you, you go in reverse. You're either progressing or you're regressing. Look in your Bible again in 1 Thessalonians. Notice in verse chapter 4, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. 
Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, now watch this, how you ought to walk and to please God. Now watch this, so you would abound more and more. He says, I want you to walk and I want you to please the Lord, but I want you to abound. Here's what he says, I want you to abound. And that word in the Greek language is used of a flower that's in its bud, but it begins to blossom into, into a full flower. You may just be a seed now, but are, are you growing? Are you abounding? But, but notice he doesn't put a period there. Look at it. So you would abound. He could put a period there, but he doesn't do that. So you would abound more and more. You know, one of the, one of the best parts of the Christian life is growing. And that's one of the reasons, Hebrews chapter 12, when you read it, that's why we have trials. James chapter 1 uh, is to help facilitate our growth. That's why God says, if any of you lack wisdom, let a mask of God. In James 1, 5. Now, that verse can be used where you need wisdom. But in the context there, it's used of people that need wisdom because they're in trials. That's right in the middle of a passage about trials. What do you need wisdom in trials for? To know what you're supposed to learn from this so that I can grow. So you can pass the test. Guess what happens as a Christian if you don't pass the test? You're going to have to take it again. You say, well, I don't like, I don't like this guy at work. I'm going to move. I'm going to change jobs. Well, you're going to meet him again at another job. or another. You're going to have to take the test again. And the earlier you learn that, not just in relationships, but in your lack of patience, in your lack of love, in your lack of filling the blank, you're going to have to take the test again until you pass the test. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said, God, God's interest in you is not that you would necessarily be comfortable, but that you would have character. And God doesn't want you to be miserable, but he will sacrifice your comfort that you would have character. And the only way to have characters is that you be growing. I want to grow. I want to be like Jesus. First Thessalonians 4.1, how you ought to walk and to please God and would abound more and more. Now, when we talk about growth, most people are interested in a growing bank account. Today, people are, are interested in, in, uh, in, in growing health. That's a good thing. But there, there's a fine line between a growing health and a growing body. I'm on Facebook, and it's amazing how many people take pictures of their bodies in the gym. Now, if you do that in here, I don't know who you are. Now, I used to do that, but I stopped doing it. And it wounds me when you laugh. But, um, you, you know, we're, we're interested in these things that... that either make us more comfortable where we can buy things or we can look good. I told Paul I probably should say this, but I'll go ahead and say it. It's fascinating how that when people lose weight and they say your body's a temple of God. Well, it was a temple of God when you were fat too. Why weren't you touting that verse then? It was still the temple. And it will be three years from now when you're fat again, but you won't be putting those pictures up. And see, some of you fat people right now, you like this. 
But the point I'm trying to make is not one of agitation. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that we, we seek after some of the things that, that God is not interested in our vanity. Well, look at me. I'm a temple. <laughs> well, you were a temple before, too. You probably weren't a good temple, but you were a temple before, too. The issue is the temple is that God dwells in. That's, that's a principle. God dwells here. That's the principle. But we're not interested in growing in the things of growing in love and, and growing in character, growing in patience, growing in humility. It might be an idea. Y'all probably shouldn't put that picture up there. That, uh, you know, sometimes we're, we're interested in letting people know about our connections, who we had dinner with. I don't mind pushing other people. But are you growing in faith? That's what I want to talk to you about. How is faith cultivated? How is it developed? How is it strengthened? Listen, listen carefully. One of the most important things you will ever learn, that you will ever learn, is how to grow in faith. Not just when you're old, but if you're 20 years old, if you're 30 years old, if you're 15 years old, is how that you can grow in faith. I'm serious. This is not for old people. The doctor comes and says that the biopsy is positive. And you're 22 years old and you have your life planned. And your accountant is pretty empty on growing in faith. You're going to need some faith. Or a loved one dies. You have some questions for God. I've given this statement to you over and over again. I'll give it to you again. That the quality of your life and effectiveness of your ministry is in proportion to your faith. The quality of your personal life and your ministry, both of those things, of your personal life and your service for God is in proportion to your faith. It's not just what you do for God, but it's in your life. I don't worry like I used to worry. I used to fret a lot. I still do. Not like I used to because of what I'm talking to you about. Not because I'm a good man, but I've learned to trust God. It's going to be all right. Have a good father. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Now just stop and look at the first part of that verse. It's impossible to please God without faith. Do you see that? Do you understand that? It's impossible. Here's what it doesn't say. Now, I think you ought to attend church. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without attending church. And you ought to attend church for other reasons. That's not what it says. It doesn't say it's impossible to please God without winning souls. You ought to win souls, but that's not what it says. And by the way, the reason... We do some of these other things. It's because this is the, the root. It is impossible to please God without faith. And I think the enemy knows that. And he, 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 he tries to, to minimize us and keep us locked away in fear and doubt. The word please there, what does that mean to please God? The word means to gratify entirely. It means to fully satisfy God, God is 
fully delighted in the man, in the teenager, in the woman, in the college student. They just trust him. They just believe him. It is impossible to please God with that faith. So as my faith is increased, the quality of my life is increased, and the effectiveness of my ministry is increased. When I say the quality of my life, I don't mean that God will give me a big house or a new car. and He may do that, but that's up to Him. But that's not my focus. It means the quality of my life. It means that I'm not consumed by things. I don't even want those things. And it means that I'm not worried about things. It's a good life. Contentment comes in. Happy people are contented people. I'll tell you who the richest people in the, the richest person in this room is. It's not the person with the most money. It's the person that doesn't want anything. That's the richest person. That's what God says. First Timothy chapter six. A contented man is a rich man. A rich man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He rewards those that please Him. And, and we please Him by our obedience and faith obeys. But listen, when you trust Him implicitly, you don't need all the experts. You say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. I'll give that. I won't go there. I'll honor my parents. I don't understand all that, but I'll do that. I'll do what you tell me to do. God says, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to reward you. Now watch this. Because you're fully seeking me. Now pay attention to that because that's what faith is. Faith is seeking God. Now some people love the Bible because they love to have their intellectual curiosity satisfied. What is the theme of 1 Kings? What does Pentateuch mean? Well, it comes from two words. Penta is five. Two comes from tukos, which means law. It means the five books of the law. And the five books of the law are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Boy, I'm like Jesus. No, the devil knows that. The devil knows all of that. Deuteronomy comes from two words. Deuteronomos. Nomos is law. Deuteros 2 is the second giving of the law. Boy, I'm like Jesus. Oh, no, Satan knows what I just said. And that's not wrong for you to know that. But it, you see, some people, some people, some people study the Bible for the satisfaction of their curiosity. That's not faith. Some people are busy in church work. Not because they love Christ, not because they're trusting God to exercise their gift. They're busy in church work because they want to be significant. They want to be recognized. They want to be known. And the minute that someone forgets to call their name, or the minute someone disagrees with them, boy, things flare up. And you realize, well, you're not really doing this for Christ. Do you have the faith that when things aren't coming out the way you want them to be, or you're passed over, or you're forgotten, that you're doing this for the audience of one. See, that's where the faith comes in. That's okay. I'm not doing this for you. And this has happened more than once. I don't like it for it. I don't have a strong voice. You know that. 
I naturally don't, and then because of my illness, my voice wears down. But I'll I'll pray in a restaurant sometimes. And maybe one of my kids, they don't say it as much anymore. I say, I couldn't hear you, Dad. Paula hadn't said it in a long time. She said, I couldn't hear you. And I don't mean to be a smart aleck, but I said, well, I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) And I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. I've been with people in restaurants where, uh, Billy, would you pray? Oh, God, thank you for Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and all the Boam boys. Oh, God, we thank you for the church service. And, and my food's getting cold. I'm sitting there watching all the hot stuff. It, it begins to go down. Oh, God, I said, well, I'd have some hot food. I thank you for my hot food. It's going to be cold in a minute. I just want to kind of get my fork while he's over praying to kind of eat a little bit. I remember one time I took Price Harris out after church one night. We went over to the Olive Garden. And uh, I said, well, let's pray. I said, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for our taste buds, Lord. And the whole table started to laugh and set me in Price. We were the only spiritual ones at the table. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Taste buds. <laughs> Jeremiah, John, Paula. <laughs> what, I, what I'll do the next time. Let's pray again. God, would you remove their taste buds? <laughs> Take them away, God. Keep mind, they're very unthankful. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A lot, of the, a lot of religion, a lot of Bible knowledge, a lot of busyness. You, you need to know the Bible. I'll show you this in a moment. You need to serve God. But there's some of you, you do all of that, but you're not strong in faith. You fear, you worry. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, and he did not many mighty works there. This is in the city of Capernaum. Because of their unbelief. Do you see that? And the mighty works, were, it spoke of miracles. Do you need a miracle in your life? It may not be financial. It may be the deliverance of an attitude, a prodigal to come home, a job. Do you need a mighty work? Well, man, I've been praying. I've been pray- Well, have you been believing while you've been praying? This is biblical. When Israel was in the wilderness, Psalm 78, verse 40, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him? This is the Lord. This is what Israel did. Yet they turned back and they tempted God. And they look at this. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God in what he wanted to do for them. He wanted to do more. Now, what does God want to do in your life? What does God want to do in your family? What does God want to do in your ministry? Let me frame it another way. What does God want to do in your life, in your family, and in your ministry, and in our church? But you have limited him because of your unbelief. And I'll answer the question is you don't know. And, And let me say this. Every single person in this room, starting with me, 
We have limited God and what he can do in our lives. Every one of us. God wants to do some stuff for us, in us, and through us. But the Bible says God wants you to be growing in your faith. God doesn't need a lot of faith. He needs a man. The Bible says with the faith of a mustard seed. It's, it's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the object of your faith. So here's the question. How do you cultivate? How do you develop your faith? How do you grow your faith? Every Christian can have a stronger faith. But on a daily basis, you need to practice two principles. And I'm going to give you one today. I'm going to give you one principle. You do this every day and your faith will begin to grow. All right? Number one, and this is what I'm going to speak to you about. And then we'll give you three things to hang this on. Number one, your faith will grow as you discover God's strength and character through a daily time in God's word. Now, that's a little bulky. I wish I could have reduced it, but I couldn't. That's about as good as I could put it. Your faith grows as you discover God's strength and character through a daily time in God's Word. Now, I want you to notice, I didn't just say have a daily time in God's Word. Because some of you do that, but as you do that, you do not discover His strength and character. Now, listen to this statement. You do not build your faith by trying to have faith. You don't get faith by wanting faith. You don't strengthen your faith by trying to have faith. You strengthen your faith by focusing on the object of your faith. I ask you to turn to Romans 10. Here's what it says. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. Faith is in connection as you are associated with hearing by the word of God. So Here's what I used to think. You you had to summon up your faith. Oh, God, give me faith. Give me faith. Give me courage. Give me strength. And God's saying, look at me. Look at me. Your focus is still on you. Give me. I want to have strength. I need. Look at me. I'm the one with the strength here. Trust me. And my favorite synonym for faith is the word is the word rest, rest in me. And you do this by discovering who God is in the word of God. So the primary reason that people do not have faith is they do not, listen, they do not have a daily time with God in his word and they're not looking for the right things when they do that. Did you understand what I said? So if you're not having a time alone with the Lord every day, and you're not looking for the right things, you're not going to have faith. Now, if you're reading the Bible every day, you're a step ahead. You're going to stumble into some stuff that's going to help you have faith. But what will really put you on the inside track is if you're looking for the right things. Now, there's three areas you need to look for, and this is is a practice. This is going to help you. Number one, I'm just going to mention this real quick because I, I, I dove in deep on this a few weeks ago. Number one, when you're in the Word, look for who God is. Don't just read for general facts. Don't just start reading, well, I had my time alone with the Lord. You're looking for who God is. Look for his heart. Look for his character. And one of the things I told you to do, uh, you can do this a lot of ways, but I suggested to kind of teach you how to do this, was to read through the book of Psalms. And as you do that, um, 
Ask yourself the question, uh, where do I see God in this passage? You can do that in any section of Scripture. But in the book of Psalms, it's, it's so easy to say, God is my, and fill in the blank, God is my fortress, God is my rock. And it's so directly stated, and then sometimes it's indirectly stated. God is my protector, God is my provider. And then write that down and then begin to meditate upon that. Because here's what happens. This refocuses your mind. And you begin to focus on God rather than yourself. If you're, if you're facing a difficult time, God, God is my protector. God is my shield. Begin to think about that. and Begin to think about how that works. And meditate on that. Because some of you see God through your problem. You think about your problem all the time. And then you go to God and complain all the time. You don't think about God. You think about your problem. So you're seeing, you're seeing God through the lens of your problem. And you're a professional complainer. You're negative. Don't do that. You, you look at God. And as you begin to look at God, you begin to see your problem through God. Small problem, big God. Or do you have a big problem with little God? Well, that depends upon what you do in the Word of God and what you're looking for. And one assignment, if I could have you just read Isaiah 40 every day this, this week. Just read Isaiah 40 and look for God. When I get discouraged, I read Isaiah chapter 40, the whole chapter. And it lifts my heart every time. God's all over that chapter. I love Isaiah 40. So... Every day in the Bible, spend time in the Word and look for who God is. Find His heart, find His character, and think about it. Number two, look for what God has done. As you read the narratives in Scripture, as you read the stories in the New Testament and the Old Testament, what you want to find out is look for the behavior of God's activity. Look for His strength. Now, you say, Rick, what do you mean by that? Well, let me clarify a little bit more. The hope is not in the weakness of the character. The hope is not in the difficulty of the assignment. Because if you think about, oh, God, this assignment is too hard. You've asked me to do this. Again, you're looking at God through the difficulty of the assignment and the weakness of your ability. You see, in the narratives, in the stories of Scripture, God is always the hero. When you read the story of David and Goliath, the, the hero is not David. The hero is God. And, and, and when you read 1 Samuel chapter 17, you see that. All David brought was his willingness. And he, he was a man of principle. But all he brought was his surrender. He brought his obedience. God was the one that slew the giant. David had prepared his heart in the wilderness. There's so many things there. And, and God becomes the hero in the story all through the text of Scripture. So the encouragements to build my faith are God's faithfulness as opposed to what I can do. And I'll be honest, that, that's my story. When I begin to see this over and over again in Bible characters and it begins to, the same theme of God, God was faithful to him. God showed up for him. God was bigger than his problem. Well, you know, he can do that for me. And so I'm not just looking for 
for who God is, I'm looking for what God did. And over and over and over again, God shows up like he did in Job. Like he did in, in Joseph. And I read those stories, and it is, and there are many other stories. I use those as examples. And you say, great day in the morning. That, that's incredible. Well, you are a Job and a Joseph just with a different storyline. And God is working in your story. Now, you keep in mind, when Job was in the middle of his trial, he didn't know the end of it. When Joseph was in the middle of his story, he didn't know the end of it. When, when Daniel was, was being accused and about to be thrown, not in the, the den, a lion's den, but in the, the den of lions, there's a difference. He didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, those three Hebrew children, they said, if you throw us in the, burning, in the fiery furnace, God will deliver us. You know what the next one says there in Daniel 3? But if not... Well, he might not. Now, he did deliver them. But you, you read these characters and you get encouragement. Oh, what, what men of faith they were. Some of them were sweating on their eyeballs, man. You said, God, you did that for them. But keep in mind, in the middle of it, they didn't know what was going to happen. You see the whole story. And it helps me to know, well, turned out okay for them. By the way, some of them... In Hebrews 11, it didn't turn out like that. Some of them were sawn asunder. Some of them were walking in the wilderness. and uses that two-lined. It talks about all the ones that were delivered. And then it says, and others. Some of them suffered. I ask the Lord on a daily basis, I suppose, on a daily, to, to remove my headaches. God, would you, would you please do this? I used to kind of bargain with, and I think I could serve you better. Now it's just for a comfort thing. And uh, Paul has probably heard me pray over that more than anything. God, please help me with my headaches. And they just, they get worse. He said, what do you do? Well, I just, keep, I just keep serving God. I'm not mad at God. I just, I trust God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had a thorn in the flesh and he kept serving God. I told Paul the other day, I said, I got, I got thorns in my eyeballs. <laughs> I, got a thorn, I got a thorn in my head. Well, just trust God. You learn these lessons, Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. You, God is not a liar. In 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You learn these stories. You learn these stories as you read the stories in the Bible. You learn that truth, that doctrinal. Listen, doctrine takes on meaning, the, these, these doctrinal statements. The devil knows these statements. But they take on truth for you when you read these stories and you say, yes. I'm not going to let my feelings dominate my life because I know the truth. Now, I don't feel like it's true. I don't feel like it's true, but it's the truth because God doesn't lie. Psalm 119 and verse 68, David said, Thou art good and doest good. You see that? Thou art good and doest good. God, you're good and you do good. 
And that settles it. He had settled this issue. And the longer you live, listen, the longer you live, there's a template that begins to be established that God is good. God is good. God is good. And then when a trial comes, you're able to say to him and to others, God's good. And you say it with conviction and you don't run away. And the word now is deconstruction of people that reject the faith. The New Testament word is apostasy. They reject Christ. They turn away from the faith. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, go ask some Bible characters why. They trusted God. God is good. You see, your faith was weak because your theology was weak. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be very practical with you. I told you a couple of weeks ago when my sister, she had the scan and they were going to do surgery on her lung. And then the night before she had the scan, she said, she called and she said, I'm trusting God tomorrow that if I get a good result, God is good. And the result is the scan is bad. God is still good. And the result of the scan was bad. And she has her second round of chemo tomorrow. And she's rejoicing in the Lord. She still has difficulty. Some of you are going through this with your families. This is, this is not plastic. This is not artificial. But listen, people that do this, they, they have a backstory Because they've seen God work in other times and places in their lives. And they've seen Him work in the Word of God where they've been... Not just learned songs and singing God is good, but they believe it in the core of their being. Somebody asked John Peterson, the songwriter, what's your favorite song you've written? He wrote hundreds, and it's my favorite song that he wrote. And it's this lyric, if God should let me there review, speaking of heaven, the winding paths of earth I knew, it would be proven clear and true that Jesus led me all the way. Jesus led me all the way, step by step, each day. I will tell the saints and angels as I lay my burden down that Jesus led me all the way. And God is good. We walk by faith and not by sight. I will not let my feelings betray who I am. And listen, this is not by strength of will where I will myself because God knows my will is weak. I weep often. I hurt often. Sometimes I I wish God would take things away. But he doesn't, but he's good. But listen, if you want a strong faith, if you want a robust faith, you you don't say, oh God, give me more faith. Oh God, give me, that's not the way you get it. That's not the way you get it. You will never have it that way. You want a strong faith? You get in this book every day, every day. Every day, every day. And you look for who God is, His heart and His character, and you look for what He's done. Number three, you look for His promises. You look for His promises. And you apply those promises to you. You say, God, how does this apply to my life? Now, I'm going to close with this, but you need this. This will help you. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word 
of God. Hearing by the word of God. Now, there's basically two words for the word word, W-O-R-D, in the New Testament. The first one's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus, that's logos. That means you, you type up words in a sentence, and each one of those is a logos. Each one is a word. The second word for word in the Bible is the word rima, R-H-E-M-A. The difference is the word rima is a specific word. It is a very specific word that is chosen. For example, um, for us it would be like if you're speaking to a police officer and uh, you saw a car hit another car and the guy ran off. and He said, well, what kind of car was it? Oh, it was a car. Well, that's a logos. But if you say it is a red sports car, that is a rima. That is a specific word. Now, here's what a rima is. A rima is a a special word for a specific need. When when God gives you in his word something for you, it it is a specific word for a special need. Now, let me show you how this works. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, the Bible says, Through faith we understand, I like this, not through facts. Through faith we understand that the world was framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. Now, when he says that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that means God spoke the word into existence. But the word word there is the word rima in the original language. They were framed by the rima of God. And here's what that means. God didn't just, if you know the Bible, he created the world in six literal days. And on day, on day one, he created special things. On day two, he created special things. On day three, all the way up to day six, on day seven, he rested. But he said different things on those days. They were remas. They were specific. They were special words. That the worlds were framed by the word of God. They had special purposes. They were remas. An angel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1. She said, you're going to have a baby and the baby's going to be the son of God. She said, but I'm a virgin. I've not known a man. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. It's going to be a miracle. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me. She said, Okay. According unto thy, look at this, According unto thy word, and the angel departed from her. The word there is rima. It was a, it was a, a specific word for a special need. Now, she was a teenager, and you talk about her needing a special word. God gave her that word. It was a promise, but it was a rima. Now, if, you, if you're going to have faith, you're going to need some remas. And you, listen, you, you get the remas from spending time with God every day in His Word. Every day, you're looking for God, who He is, what He has done, and His promises. And within those promises come these words. That are crafted for you. You may have read that verse 25 times. 
But in a season of your life, there's going to be a raiment that's crafted for you. And it will build your faith. And you're going to hold on to that. Peter was out fishing and he'd already decided to follow Jesus, but he hadn't surrendered fully yet. All night long, he didn't catch anything. Jesus said, cast your nets, plural. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, Simon answered, answering said unto him, that is Jesus, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. We're the experts. What do you mean? We love you. You're a good teacher. We know you're the Messiah, but you're asking us to do something that really is a foolish thing to do. Nevertheless, at thy rima, that's the word, not logos, at thy rima, you gave me a, a, a specific word for a special need. I will let the net, he didn't, he didn't obey the Lord, he just let one net down. Now, if you read the rest of the verse the passage, that's when he surrendered fully to the Lord because he couldn't get the, the nets were so full of fish. As you, as you go through life in his word, God will give you remus, but you've you got to be looking for him. You've got to be in the Bible. You can't, well, okay, five minutes for the Lord. I, I really don't like the thing. Just give the Lord five minutes. Just give, you know, give him five minutes. Really, really, give the Lord of glory who died for you, who, who was crucified. Just give him five minutes. Now, I understand the importance of building a habit, but give him five minutes. No, let's find out who he is, how he behaved, and let's find Remus. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, physical nerds, Words, but by every word, by every rima, that's the word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word, every word. This is the importance of being exposed to all the Bible, all the Bible. <clears throat> Many years ago, I began to read through the Bible, and I'm not legalistic in this sense. Where oh, I got to read through it. Oh, it's, it's December the 28th, and I've got to get through these prophets so I can say I read through the Bible in a year. <clears throat> it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, it's how many times the Bible's been through you. But I want to read through the Bible on a consistent basis. You say, well, why do you do that, Rick? Isn't that legalistic? Well, it would be, except for he told me here in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. By every word. That proceeded out of the mouth of God. When I was 18 years old, I was a major, major convention. And some of the best Christians in the world were there. Literally, pastors. There was probably 15,000 people there. I was about on the third row. John R. Rice was preaching on Tuesday night. He said, how many of you have read every word of the Bible? He was asking the audience to read the Bible through. Nobody had ever asked me to do that. And I thought, well, I've never thought about reading the Bible through. I just graduated from high school a few months ago, 1976. He said, how many of you have read the Bible all the way through? And he said, I mean all the, all, here's Aiden, I mean all the genealogies. I mean First Chronicles. I mean Second Chronicles. I mean how many of you have read every word? Well, you just hold your hand up. And I remember I turned around because I couldn't hold my hand up. 
And I looked around, and I bet 10% of the crowd had their hand up. And it hit me for the first time what a rarity this was. It's an old statistic, about 40 years old. But about 40 years ago, 75% of seminary students had never read the Bible through it. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you go to a surgeon that had that missed 25, that missed 75% of their classes? This, this isn't, you talk about a pandemic. This is important. But, but now, now you better hear my heart on this. This is not about, okay, I'm going to get a schedule and make sure I get through this so I can check it off the lid. There, I'm thinking, that's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. You see, I'll go through First Chronicles and I say, well, that, that was kind of hard right there. And then out about every 10 pages, wow, what a nugget. What a rima. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. This was life to me. This helped me today. The way we're sanctified is by rema. As Ephesians 5, 6, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. That is the church with the washing of water by the word. By specific words. Not by general words. Now, if you came to church and we just read the Bible, it would be powerful. But we explain it. We say, this means this. This is how it applies. It's specific words. You're not cleansed just because you hear the Bible read. That's good. You're cleansed, and the word is rhema there. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the rhema of God. A specific word for a special need. Here's the issue. The Holy Spirit's sword is the word. But when he reaches in your mind, do you have, have you memorized scripture? Do you know the word of God so that he can take remas out? Or is there just nothing there? Are you bereft of the word of God? I remember when God was calling me to ministry and I was really struggling with this. I I said, God, I, I can't do this. That God used a rema to put me in the ministry. I was in my bunk in Bible college and I came to Exodus chapter 4 and I came to verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. And I said, Well, that's me. And heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Most Bible scholars believe Moses had a speech impediment and that he stuttered. And I remember just stopping there and I said, Lord, that's me. Why do you want me? I, I, I can't be in front of people. I'm an introvert. Why, why you do not want me for this? And I read the next verse. And the Lord said unto Moses, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord now? Therefore go... And I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And probably it was that moment where I said, Lord, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And and now, 40, 45 years ago, I'm telling you that story 
because I could take you. It's, it's gone now. They destroyed the building, but I could take you to the place on the property where that because it was a rima. And listen, faith to do the will of God was birthed in my heart because I was reading the Word of God and I was listening. I wasn't. It wasn't. We're just going to get through the Word of God. I was letting God speak to me. About 10 years ago, I was in depression. Felt like God was finished with me. I'd gone through a period of of loss in my life. I'd lost my health. I'd lost my father. Brother Earl in our ministry had passed away. I'd gone through some other losses. One of my closest friends, uh, his wife had left him and I was in the middle of that. He was a pastor and I was trying to help him and trying to help his wife and, and um, other things. There were about eight, eight losses. And they were just tapping me. And I, I, was, I felt like I, I, I can't. The church deserves better. Our church deserves better. All I, all I, all I have to offer anymore is weakness. That's all I have. And so the church loves me and they care for me. So this is all that I have. So I'll make it easy for them. And it wasn't for fishing for compliments. Oh, no, we love you, Pastor. Oh, no, it was deeper than that. And unless you've been depressed, you don't understand that. There's a hopelessness. We were up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, staying with some friends. And we went to church with them in Spotswood Baptist Church. We went to a Sunday school class. And I don't remember the sermon that morning. I don't remember the Sunday school lesson. But I remember where they had it. It was in a gymnasium. And they had the, it was a large Sunday school because it, me- it was a mega church. And they had the, the tables around there in a big square. Paul and I sat down. I didn't want anybody saying, hey, here's Brother Rick's a pastor. And I, I didn't want anything. I, I was so tired. And we sat down and I opened my Bible and had my pen there. And I looked up and they had banners across the back of the gym. They just had scripture verses up there and we were right in the middle the teacher was here and we were right in the middle and the tables were kind of like this people over here couldn't see the banners as well and right in the middle right in front of me in the very center was one scripture verse they were all the other I read all of them but I kept coming back to that one and I really wasn't listening to the teacher I'd learned to kind of pretend like you do you know how you pretend like you're listening to me you're making grocery lists I know how to do that too. And uh, I, I was kept looking at that verse. It was Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. It was about Israel. When Israel was coming out of the tribulation period and they were going into the kingdom. And here's what it said. The wilderness and the solitary place. She'll be glad for them. And I remember reading that and saying, well, God, that's me. There's a dryness. There's a wilderness in my heart. 
I'm alone. But the desert, the desert shall rejoice. And all of a sudden, there, there, there was hope in that verse. And in the desert, it will blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly. And I grabbed onto that and I thought, it'll blossom abundantly in the desert. It's been in isolation in the wilderness. He rejoiced even with joy and singing and the glory of Lebanon. And it goes on and talks about the glory of God and the excellency of God. And I remember I took my pen and paper and I, I began to write down. I looked at that verse and I began to, it became a rhema. Probably Paula and the teacher thought I was taking notes on the lesson. I wouldn't. I was taking notes on that verse. And God was speaking to me. I wouldn't listen to anything. I was taking, listen to that verse. God speaking to me about the wilderness of my heart. Of being beat down by an illness. And the voices in my ear that I've been listening to and the lack of hope. And that was about 10 years ago. But I remember it with great great clarity. I could take you back there and show you where we were sitting. Maybe the banner's not there, but if it's not, I could show you where it was. Because listen, listen, it was a rhema. It was a rhema. And God began to bird life and hope. And give me a pulse again. I didn't get, God did not strengthen my faith because I had, well, I'm going to have faith. God did not give me faith because God gave me faith. God gave me faith through his word. Even though I was reading the Bible every day. And he was giving me daily grace, sustaining grace to do what I needed to do. But in a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 and 2, it became a turning point for me. It was a rhema for me. Now, if you want to build your faith every day, every day, every day, you're going to have to read the Bible. You're going to have to look for who God is. You're going to have to find his character. You're going to find out how he behaves how he acts, and you're going to have to look for his promises and remas. Some of you don't read the Bible every day. Some of you do, but it's a duty. You don't look for You're not intentional. And some of you don't keep it in your heart. You don't memorize the scriptures. And you don't take the time to let it soak in you. And that's why your faith is not strong. And when your faith is not strong... Trials knock you over. Should you bow your head with me if you would?